I was suddenly in one body and now my body gave up on me and then I was like, oh, so I'm not that version of me anymore. So I had to reevaluate who, how I saw myself. On today's episode, we speak to broadcaster, content creator and disability activist Lucy Edwards. This conversation left my soul so nourished and is about how we take up space and find our power and find our own paths in a world that isn't set up to enable us or support us or build for us. So to get us started, um, we always like to let people define themselves and introduce themselves instead of us trying to impose a definition or an introduction onto you. So how do you want to introduce yourself? Yes, so my name is Lucy Edwards. I am 27 years old and I live in the UK with my lovely guide doggies, my retired guide dog Olga and lovely Miss Molly um, and my fiance. I am a blind broadcaster proud blind girl, (laughs) Um, content creator and disability activist um, and company director, which is cool. And I do lots for TV, radio, advertising online and on TV. So yeah, that's me. That is such an amazing introduction. You have such a long list of things you do. <laughs> what is your game everything. like? <laughs> Given that you do so many things, like what is it? Well, there's people always say there's never an average day, but what does your day to day look like right now? Yeah, so my day to day, a lot of the time is I wake up, we always have a content meeting. I work with my family. So I work with my fiance, my sister and my mom, we all run our limited company together. And that is the machine that is behind my content creation. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have uh, weekly meetings on what content we're outputting. And also what um, has done well that past week. We call them what went well meetings. Um, and I always like to remind myself on a Monday morning, like what are we, what are our little attainable goals this week? Mm -hmm. And also what have I failed at? I always like to be like, yes, I love failure because I can do it better next time. Um, so we have that. And then sort of day to day, I would say the filming days change a little bit from Thursday to Friday. But ultimately, we have like, um, Tuesday and Wednesday is like my brand deal days. So if any brand deals come in from my management team, we tend to film them on those days. Um, so that's like people who want to sponsor ads on my channels, if I align with that brand, and my brand aligns with that brand. Um, and then I tend to have like content creation zoom Mm -hmm. calls on Fridays. So yeah. I want to go back to something you said, because it's so interesting. You like failure. Tell yeah. us more. I, I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't say I like failure, but I'm growing to accept that failure is like an important part of life. But I'm very curious about like what your journey has been with failure. Yeah. So I like failure. I love failure because I, when I was really, really young, I lost my eyesight at 17 years old. And, you know, from then on, I said to myself, you know, there's never going to be a day as hard as this one again. Mm. So when I see like the failures that I have in business or, you know, when I execute an idea, I'm always like, well, that didn't fail as much as me going blind. So I always have that comparison. Sometimes maybe it is to my 
demise yeah. <laughs> my fiance is like oh my god your pain threshold is so high I can't compare my stub toe to you Lucy <laughs> and I'm like oh damn it but I think ultimately failing and me coming out of that and thinking right what am I going to do after the after I've weathered the storm and has defined like my whole career as as to as of this point so if I didn't get back up from failures then I'd be I wouldn't be who I am so yeah I imagine it also makes it a lot easier to take risks because you know that you're going to like be mostly okay or you will get through it right what you'll get to the other side because you've gotten to the other side of the hardest day of your life yeah totally I think risk taking before I lost my eyesight was something that I was really really scared about and when I had to basically grow up overnight and say, you know, wow, I'm not this 17 year old girl anymore. I'm suddenly a a woman having mm-hmm. to, you know, learn how to basically pour a drink again and go outside and w- walk again outside with a guide dog, but not on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it really makes you evaluate the fact that that period of my life, I was surviving, I wasn't thriving. Mm-hmm. So it puts into perspective, like the failures that I have at work and with my business, you know, if something doesn't go right, it's, you know, a bad period for a week, for a month, if it's really bad. But ultimately, in the grand scheme of things, it's, you know, not harming me to just try because you never know then. I don't want to sit when I'm like 80, like, oh, I wish I would have tried that because you always have a what if, don't you then? Yeah, it makes it makes life, I guess, much more interesting and also much more possible, right? Because you know that you'll You'll at least know. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious about something you said there about when you lost your eyesight, you had to grow up and it was like you were a new new person. And it's interesting that you said that because I I came in with my own bias here where I was like, oh, you're probably going to say something about how you experienced the world in a new way or like the world was new, but you felt like you you were a new person, not that the world was different, which is really interesting. I think it's a bit of both, but mainly I did have a bit of an identity crisis. Mm. So I, I definitely felt like I was suddenly in one body and now my body gave up on me. And then I was like, oh, so I'm not that version of me anymore. So I had to reevaluate who, how I saw myself, but also suddenly one day, you know, I was living in this sighted world completely like fine But then, you know, I would go out and have like an access refusal, Mm. say like my um, guide dog would be refused from a taxi because, um, you know, of different prejudices or, you know, I wouldn't be allowed into a restaurant or, you know, I would go into my university and stuff wouldn't be adapted for me. And And I was like, oh, my gosh, you know, suddenly this whole world seems like I don't fit anymore. And it, that's really, it was really weird for me. It was like, I wasn't in my own body. I can't quite explain it, but yeah, I think when I sort of lost the sense of, well, actually it's not me that needs to be fixed. It's the world that needs to be fixed. Then right. I did shift my perception of me again. It, it's hard to get there though. Definitely. And once you shifted that perception, once you reached that understanding that, you aren't broken, it's the world that's broken, right? And it's the world that isn't like set up to serve you. 
were there specific things that like were the catalysts where you were like this is why I'm so angry like why is this not working or I just want to be able to exist in this space and why isn't it set up were there specific things or was it everything all at once for you I think at the start it was everything but it's because of my mental health I was dealing with that before and after like who I once was the trauma of that one day of me going oh suddenly an operation and then not having Mm. but as it went on I think as I tried to access things in the shower and I put my conditioner on before my shampoo because the bottles Mm. felt the same I was like this is so dumb like why why are we not changing packaging or changing society in a way that wouldn't not only help me as a blind person put conditioner on first um that feels so disarming when I'm you know that happens to me in the morning and then I have to produce a BBC report in the afternoon it doesn't kind of add up it doesn't make me feel autonomous or independent so I was like right you know how can we how can we sort this where you know action is being taken and I think during the pandemic we saw a massive rush of companies drive towards more universal design principles and I think now you're seeing like the tech world especially in the AI space with my collaboration with Be My Eyes um you know chat GPT is now on the app and I can take a picture of everything and then the AI will tell me what's in front of me to, you know, Navalens on my collaboration with Pantene and that barcode suddenly after nine years telling me what the ingredients are, mm. what, what basically what I'm holding in my hand. And that's something that I had the luxury of nine years earlier without me even thinking. And it's all these, all these things that I guess swirl around in your head, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. it's interesting where technology, like so often, I feel like the conversations we have are about how tech is really broken or like how scary all of this is, but there is so much potential, which is what you're talking about. And that's really exciting. Are there other things like that that are giving you hope or that you're seeing in the, on the horizon where you're like, okay, this is, you know, like the, the app you're working with, um, the AI chat GPT one, where you can see like the next iteration of what you want in the world. And I'm just curious about what, what is, what is giving you hope in this space right now? Well, I think the top line for me, my whole activism journey, cause I'm such a techie girl. Like my dad bought me up on computers. Like I wasn't that girl that was cooking. I was like, mm-hmm. before I even learned to talk, I was jamming my fingers on the keyboard. Mm-hmm. So when I lost my eyesight, um, that's tech and like just clicking where I needed to be was a massive like roadblock in you know it's really something that I felt like I lost and then when I learned all my keyboard shortcuts again and basically learned how to go around a computer quicker than when I had vision because I know all the keyboard shortcuts and my Mm. computer just talks to me I think my ultimate goal was oh I want the internet to be accessible to me again because it wasn't suddenly like 90 whatever percent of our websites currently, you know, aren't labeled. There's no, the heading, there's no headings there. All of the images on the World Wide Web are, you know, they just go 127.jpg. It's whatever that owner has named that um, image on the website when they've inputted it and uploaded it. So, you know, my whole activism journey 
which, which is one of the reasons I always say my why, why I'm on social media is to advocate for the whole of the web to be integrated in a way where screen readers just work with it. And I think AI, we're going to see, it's going to learn very quickly. Everyone's always saying to us like, this will learn so quickly and I'll get out of control. But for me, I could have never have, I don't think all of the activism in the world would have changed the web the way the AI is going to change it for blind people. You know, I, I accessed Instagram for the first time uh, the other day. It was like two, three days ago where, you know, people don't necessarily automatically describe their images, but I just clicked yeah. share, send to um, be my eyes. Mm -hmm. And, and I asked it to describe it with AI and suddenly I knew what the image was and it, it blew my mind. So yeah, websites being accessible is what we're going to get. And then robot guide dogs, probably. <laughs> <laughs> That's an incredible turn. That's not what I expected at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know what Boston Dynamics are doing, but they've got to hit me up because I know those are spenny and I'm wondering how they can plug the AI in to make it do like what guide dogs do. Not that I'd want to replace Miss Molly. Right. But yeah. <laughs> I, get, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. Was that your like your way into activism and also like you becoming a broadcaster, working in media? What was was it something that you were already on that path when you were 17? Or was it something that came or you came to with like the clarity of okay, I want to change the way the internet works. I want to change the way technology works. I want to change the stories we tell. I'm curious about if there was a moment or how, how you went on that, down that path. Yeah, thank you so much for the question. I think ultimately, I because I went blind in the middle of my A-level studies, which is like just before university here in the UK, so from 17 to about 19, I had to retake, I had to do three years instead of two. So um, I initially got into law school. I managed to dictate all of my uh, all of my English literature and history and drama A levels mm -hmm. to a teaching assistant. Every full stop, every comma, I had a hundred percent extra time, and I got A star BB. I got into law school, and then I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I think I then had a mental breakdown because I was like, "Oh, I am blind." <laughs> you know, yeah. when you get to the end of yeah. end of something and you have that realization, like, "Oh, this has actually happened to me. I can't just ignore it forever." Um, so I took some time out, and I was creating YouTube videos back then and one of my videos went viral but I created YouTube videos to try and find a community because I had no one in my life that was blind so I kind of felt like noddy no mates not that I <laughs> didn't have mates yeah. like all of my school friends were really really encouraging and amazing but I just wanted to see someone out there like me that was like rocking it mm -hmm. not just because I'd google stuff and it'd just be like charities with like older people, not that old people aren't amazing, but like they weren't 17, 19 year old Lucy. So I started uploading and then that sort of became the portfolio for me to go and springboard into a BBC job. I actually applied several times um, for different apprenticeship schemes in the BBC. I didn't get in the first few times. And then I just honed my craft and like understood by talking to different mentors and people within the industry about like how how it worked and um, what I would want to specialize in and right. you know 
really getting to grips with like what the interview process was like. And then I got in in 2017 to the BBC and there was a, I got into both schemes. So I got into the Birmingham scheme where I am currently now, that's the local team or or London one. And I was like, my dad was like, go to the London one loose. You'll have so much opportunity. So he came down with me to the interview and then the rest is history, really. I moved to London. I was so scared. I couldn't even get in a taxi with my guide dog because I'd been refused. And I was like, I'm so scared to get in a London cab. If I can't get in a Birmingham one, I'm so scared. But um, no, I did it. And I moved with my now fiance, boyfriend at the time. And the rest is history, really. That's how I became a broadcaster. And mm. yeah, I, I, I kind of, I'm freelance with that kind of work now because, um, I do my social media more full time, but I'm, I'm managing to like craft a social media team so I can yeah. do broadcasting a bit more. So I'm going to Japan with, um, the travel show soon again to produce another doc. So yeah, that'll be amazing. That sounds really exciting. <laughs> So that's how I got into it. <laughs> I'm curious about it's something you said while you were explaining your journey, which is something we think about a lot and talk about a lot, which is community and just like the power of finding people who are going through what you're going through. And it can be so incredibly difficult. And you you are, like I, I imagine the comment section on both your Instagram and TikTok is where a lot of people, a lot of young blind people now find their community. Um but what was it like when you were getting started? Where did you have a sense of like, there are three other YouTubers out there and I just want to make my videos and hope we like become friends? Was it, I hope someone finds this and, and I'm less alone in the world? Like, what was your, what was your journey like? Because it's so hard. It's so hard. I, I didn't see anyone like me other than this lovely, lovely girl called Molly Burke. And we are still friends now to this day. Um, she, I blew up a little bit before her and then she did. And we kind of, we've kind of come back and forth with, with each other in like giving each other advice and tips and things. But she's like basically me, but a Canadian mm. version of me. And it was so lovely to see that she was like over the other side of the world, lost her eyesight at a similar time to me, similar condition. Um, I don't know, like it, it was very heart, like heartening to see that there was other young people out there. I think ultimately now I see that the main, my main why is because when I was younger, I just, I was so, so low. I didn't know who I was. I mean, who knows who they are yeah. when they're a teenager anyway, but then losing your eyesight on top of that, you, you're my heart shattered into a thousand million pieces. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the rehabilitation for that, you know, some of my videos that I filmed were the only happy moments back then. And I remember, you know, turning on the camera was my way of being like, I did this today, you know, I poured a drink today, or these are some kitchen appliances that I've just ordered from the Royal National Institute for the Blind. And, you know, this is how I cook a lasagna or whatever I was doing at that time. Mm. Um, and there were like my mini little sun sunshines, yeah. you know, in that day. So it's a bit of both really. What was it about turning on the camera that brought you joy? Because that's such an interesting, Thing that you you both recognized that and that was happening was it just the fact that you felt like you were being witnessed was did you need to share it or was it just recording was enough for you or was it 
sharing it out into the world as well? I think it was my stereotype I had in my head that blind people couldn't necessarily film videos. Mm. And it was a part, I think I didn't want to lose myself. I didn't want to lose my hobbies. Like suddenly, visually, people saw my guide dog or my long white cane before they saw me, before they got to know me. So I was like, it was part of reclaiming myself back. It was saying, hey, like, look, I can do my makeup um, and I can feel like happy about my hair and I know it's a visual thing but it's still me I'm still in here I'm screaming at you and it was almost like half attention seeking maybe in if I analyze it like oh my gosh like hear me I'm still here I'm still valid because I didn't feel valid and now it's turned into something that I'm like right I actively want to educate when I started TikTok and doing that for a living and then it turned into a business I think that was when I finally found myself like several years later and it's a business now because I don't want people to feel like I felt when I first started uploading my videos. It's, I mean, it also isn't at all attention seeking. It it sounds so human that you just wanted people to, to know you Lucy and see you Lucy and not see Mm -hmm. Lucy, the blind girl, right? Like it was, you're still Mm -hmm. a person is that something that's definitely hard for you where because you are now in a different sphere where you have this massive platform and you are a very vocal activist um, for disability rights where you're Lucy the disability rights activist, right? Lucy the blind activist. Yeah. And it hasn't been hard for you where do you find that people do the thing to you again where it's your identity that comes first as opposed to your humanity and you being Lucy? Yeah, this is so weird. Like, it's something that I actually talk about with my therapist, like, all the time. There's, like, you know, blind Lucy and then there's other bits of Lucy. But I think, you know, chatting it through, it's all about us all having different identities. So because my brand is very much blind Lucy and Pantene Lucy, like, advertising Lucy and, you know a lot of the time that is what people see when I put out adverts, you know, that is a version of me. It doesn't mean it's like the only version of me, but it's, it's something that people see like quite often. I used to hate the word blind. I used to not want to be associated with it. I just didn't want to be blind Lucy, but now I see it as an empowering word, a word that makes me feel proud of, you know, what I've been through in my life and, you know, proud of failing, proud of, um, you know, my career. I love that I've built my whole company around being this blind, independent woman who doesn't need anybody to run a business with her because, you know, I'm me and I can delegate tasks. And, it, you know, that that to me means more than anything. But I think, yeah, sometimes I guess with any brand, um, you know, sports journalists will say, oh my gosh, they just put me on sports stories or, you know, um, medical journalists who report loads about the NHS would be like, oh, they need to give me a story that's a bit different today. Like I think people do get pigeonholed in their professional career. So I think I'm good with that. I think it's allowed me to have my home Lucy and my hobbies Lucy Mm -hmm. and um, you know, I'm Lucy, who's a sister, Lucy, who's a homeowner, Lucy, who is about to be a wife, a dog owner. I'm all of these things. I think I can just see them more clearly now. 
it's it's something I think anyone who has an identity that like precedes them when they enter a room has to deal with, right? Whether it's your disability, whether it's race, whether it's gender, it's it's always there and it's such a difficult thing where especially if the world is like writing a narrative which is i think what you were touching on is with your struggle with the word blind as well right like it was something where it, it sounds like at what we were talking about at the beginning of this conversation of the world wasn't set up for blind people and but you didn't feel like the world was new you felt like you were a new person because it was you that had changed and that feels like part of it too and it's really beautiful to hear how you have not not just like reclaimed the narrative but just like owned your own identity and like yes here's who i am and i am powerful and i'm great and i'm enough and how dare you say otherwise i totally i agree with you and there's also going to be days where you think yeah i'm enough and I know that you don't think that I'm enough, but I actually don't care, you know? Um, there's, uh, you know, it's always debatable, like, are women ever going to be equal? That, you know, I went to a, a conference with Meta the other week and talking about, you know, gender inequality. And there's so many, like, sex in society, um, racism, like the where we were born, where we grow up, like all of these advantages and disadvantages that we have and perceive. And I think, you know, when, you know, there's no reason for me to sit in my chair and be like, why me? You know, why? Uh, there was a lot of the time in my grieving process where that was valid. But if I said, why me all of the time, then I wouldn't validate or see everybody else's struggle because at the end of the day, there's going to be experiences that I could never imagine that I mm. that that someone else has been through and someone would never necessarily imagine what I've been through, but we can appreciate it. And I think becoming a brand with my activism has kind of given it a purpose and a almost a box for yeah. me that I can compartmentalize and then also be free to like be myself as well. Yeah. It also feels like if we get stuck in the why me we never get to like, but why is the world broken? Because it's not about us, right? It's not that we are broken in any way or we are wrong or not enough. It's generally the world doesn't hold space for us or isn't set up for us or doesn't enable us to succeed, which it's such a hard shift to make in your thinking because we're constantly being told that it is us because it's so much easier for all the systems and all the power holders to just be like, well, you're actually the problem. So if you do yeah. whatever, like self-help, self-care, it'll, it'll be fixed. It'll fix you. Yeah. You are the thing that needs to be fixed in this crazy world. And all of our marketing, I guess, like is towards like us having a problem and us solving our problem. When actually, if you flip it on its head, like there are problems in the world, but there are there are also different ways to like shift that on its head. I think that's what's amazing about like thinking about journalism. You know, I went into a a class once when I was training to be a BBC journalist in Manchester, and um, you know, we had all of these headlines about the snow on a whiteboard, mm. and I I never forget like this this um, teacher kind of said, right, so it's snowing outside. What can you say about the snow that's different to, That's different in this news cycle? And I was like, oh, well, I guess someone could fall over in the snow. And then it's like, you think about all of these different storylines, all these different ideas and different perspectives about the snow. Like, I don't know. I think ultimately 
you can always shift your ideals on any topic mm -hmm. and yeah it's perspective isn't it do you feel like you had to did you have to go through like what was how did you get from the why me which is an important part of the grieving process as you said and like how did you get to the point of like okay it like i can probably dwell in the why me forever and also i need to move like that that for me with medical things that has been my journey of like okay i mean i can sit in why me forever and like it's not going to get me anywhere. I need to, I need to get somewhere eventually. So it's time to like flip it on its head. But I'm curious about yeah. what that journey was like for you. Well, so my why me, I would, I sat in bed for a good, like a good few years. I was doing my A-levels, as I said, mm -hmm. and then I went to law school and dropped out. But I remember distinctly, you know, being on really, really strong antidepressants and thinking, wow, like these are really knocking me off. But if they weren't, I'd feel like I, I don't have a path. Like I don't, I genuinely don't know what to mm -hmm. do. Like I feel so broken and I have no real way out here. I felt so trapped. So all I could think to do is like do tiny things per day. Mm -hmm. And that's what I kind of always say to people who are just starting out. Like, as I said earlier on, like I was just surviving back then. So even just like... One day I was like, right, I'm going to brush my teeth in the morning and the evening. And then when I got Olga, my first guide dog, she needed to have a routine. So starting to input those routines, it took me a good year to be like, right, today I'm going to feel confident with going to get a loaf of bread because putting one foot in front of the other back then, I was so scared because I had to trust this dog suddenly yeah. with my whole being. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> um, this is weird. I'm 18 and now a dog is like telling me where to yeah. go. Um, so I think you do have that process of like, just, just living. Um, I don't think it goes from why me to success necessarily. Um, it didn't, it didn't necessarily in my journey. Um, I think from then on, I just kept like chipping away at things. So I remember doing like little vision boards with my other mm. half, um, Ollie and, you know, I'd have like five things on my vision board and it'd be like six months in advance and like, I don't know, it, that on that board would literally be like, make a dish for my family tonight mm. or like really simple things that maybe you would like, I, I'm not judging about who would like, I would. I was just about to say like, oh, maybe a 10 year old would have, but like 10 year old me would have definitely like done a long list like that. But equally I was learning how to live again. Yeah. Like I was, I was literally just like, I'm 10 years blind, just gone. So really I've only got 10 years of experience in this body, even though I'm 27. Mm. So, you know, I've only been doing some of the things that, you know, making a cup of tea like this for 10 years. So, you know, I had all of those things. And then I think as I started to get better and like, like myself and like learn to do things independently, I think the more I got self-acceptance, I think a turning point for me was definitely getting into the BBC at 21, 22, and then seeing, like pushing myself out of my comfort zone. People always say like, do it, do it. But it definitely was something that I was terrified to do, but it made me so feel so much better once I'd done it. Um, because I saw, you know, I was, my manager was blind. My mm -hmm. colleagues were blind mm -hmm. and they'd been blind for years, successful careers. They had children and I was like, oh, you know, I remember having this conversation with Damon, who was my boss at the time at BBC Ouch. And he said, 
oh, are you going to go on holiday? It's the summer coming up. I was like, oh, no. Like going on holiday as a blind person is like sitting in your back garden. Why would you spend the money? Mm-hmm. He was like, what? What are you saying? And he told me about this trip to Iceland that he went on and the fact that it was amazing and he got different foods and he spoke to loads of different people. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he did loads of different walking trails and he met loads of different guides that audio described things in different ways. And I was like, oh, huh, that's quite yeah. cool. And then that was the moment for me that I was like, oh, maybe this isn't actually that bad and there's people that are actually living their life, you know? And it also just sounds like you had it's really hard to sometimes imagine what like what life can be like if someone isn't around to to tell you or like lead by example or live by example and you were doing it on your own with the one youtube friend right until until that point so it makes sense that also once you started meeting more people it was like oh okay here are different versions of life that i can live in the body that i have yeah defo i think it ultimately you know unless I pushed myself to like move to a different city or you know keep connected with people around the world who are also blind I mean I have people in America um in Denmark like Mm -hmm. loads of people now my community of blind people is just so extensive and that that is important to my like my why not being able to have to say why me anymore and I'm proud of that you know for someone younger who's listening to this like the 17 year old version of you who maybe hasn't found you yet on TikTok or has another disability or another way in which they feel like they're they're in a version of the shoes you were in at that point of I like I don't know anyone else who has to live like I do is there anything that you could like you would go back and tell your 17 year old self or you would tell someone who's trying to make sense of like what can life look like in a world which isn't like designed for me yeah I think it's try not to be angry and that is so that is so hard. Mm. Me just saying that right now, it's like you could be angry about so many things because at the end of the day, you get up every day and, you know, the world isn't made for you and you could get a refusal or you could not go somewhere with your guide dog because they, you know, don't feel that well and you have to go with your long white cane or change your plans or, mm. you know, something might happen on the internet where you know you can't do your job that day because the code's changed overnight and you know you might have this string of like barriers to entry because of your disability Mm -hmm. but it's so important to start to say to yourself you know to try not to get angry at those at those things and it takes such a strong person to do that. And that's not going to happen overnight. But the less I got angry about all of those things and the more I went, well, someone else over there is being discriminated because, you know, because of their gender or their ethnicity or because of their sexuality. And it's, it's not, it's very, you know, even though I've got a barrier to access right Mm -hmm. now, um, it, it's about shifting your way of thinking and maybe having a fidget toy or something to get you out of that mindset. Mm-hmm. Because I think when I got like a fidget toy, a bo- like I have a box now, um, 
in this little alcove where I sit when it's raining so I can hear the, mm -hmm. the rain on the window and I have all these fidget toys and if I feel particularly low or like particularly something like I can't get it out of my head I just I just try and shift my focus mm -hmm. and it's really helped me to not feel as angry at the world or at myself you know you can always think of what once was yeah. and it's not healthy. Anger is such an interesting thing where I am with you where I find anger for me at least like it, it doesn't feel productive but I only feel worse yeah but it's not necessarily necessarily fuel for me and we could be angry at the world forever right like if you start getting there's no yeah. stopping getting angry in some sense mm, totally um I think some anger if I've changed like my if I've got angry at something in the morning, I've tried not to let it like crush my whole day. I, it used to be a cloud that followed me until I went to sleep. Um, and that's okay if you're in that mindset for a couple of months. But I think and be, be kind to yourself if it's just happened and you're just dealing with the trauma. But I think you have to move out of that space in order to move on. Definitely. How do you like, there's, there's anger at like the everything being broken and then there's just people being kind of shit, right? Which is also a part of it. And there's yeah. there's anger, which isn't productive. It's and it it's as you beautifully said right now, like it can be a cloud that follows you through the day. It, are there things that you do when you have to just like get through it? I'm asking the question knowing that I would never know how to answer it. So it could also be that you don't have things that you do. But I'm curious about like are there practices you've developed or are there things you say to yourself or do you have people you talk to and just like, how do you get through it? Okay. So number one, um, I tell myself that being blind is okay, but being sighted is okay too, mm. because I used to get really, really, really angry that I used to be sighted and that is now not my reality anymore. Mm. And then in order to have a nice reality right now, I had to somehow disprove the fact that I liked my sighted life. Mm -hmm. And I went into my therapy sessions and, and she and she said to me, she was like, Luce, like the world is not black and white. Like you can't, you don't have to hate one of them to love yeah. the to love being blind, or you don't have to hate being blind and love being sighted. Like it doesn't work like that. And I'm like, mm. ah. You know, and, and that's what I say to like, I love the reason that I can talk about my childhood again in a really loving way and not a way that makes me feel sad is that because now I, I do accept that, you know, having sight, it was a valid thing and was a valid 17 years mm -hmm. of my life because I like being blind now. And I think that makes me way less angry. And also I think I used to compare myself a lot to like my sighted fiance or like my sighted friends, I'd be like, well, they can just open their eyes and go over there or open their eyes and see a video on social media. Mm -hmm. And it, that, that for me used to make me feel sick a lot of the time because, you know, I'd be in conversations and not necessarily know what was happening, not that through mm -hmm. therefore their own, like most of the time they're amazing, but you know, there's always something that you don't necessarily follow in any conversation, but I tried not to be like, that's because of my blindness instantly and always blame it on it mm -hmm. because 50% of the time it might've been, but 50% of the time it probably wasn't. So, um, it's all about shifting thinking for me. That's yeah. really powerful. It also sounds like it's just a, 
you're reaching the point of not just being kind to yourself, but just like accepting your reality or like accepting mm-hmm. the world for what it is, which is such a hard thing to do. Yeah. It is so, it's so, so hard. And I'm saying all these words, like, I know I've had, I'm 10 years into this now and it's not easy. Um, And I think, I don't know, it's about not bullying yourself as well. Like when you're angry, you're like, I'm so horrible. I'm so this, I'm so that. What about, what about just, you know, replacing that with, I'm having the thought that I'm Mm. so horrible because then you're like, well, that's just a thought. It's not a reality. Mm Because the more you can get away from that thought and say, you know, that's not going to own me. And that is a thought that is on the back of my bus. Um, this is acceptance and commitment therapy coming in here. My, my therapist would be so happy with me right now. But, you know, that thought can only be as like strong yeah. if you let it. And you have the power to be like, well, I can kick that thought to the back of my bus. It is always going to be there. You know, there's going to be, there's going to be thoughts that I say, I hate that I'm blind. And he, that little thought, that little gremlin is at the back of my bus every day. I have to carry that Mm. with me. But there's also a thought on the bus that is a little angel that I love being blind. And you have the choice to make one of them louder than the other. And then there's some things that will like shift your mindset and the gremlin will be louder that day, but you have to know how to like, I don't know, put a tranquilizing dart in that gremlin. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's like, it also like ties really, at least from where I sit, it ties really beautifully into like what you do for work as well. Right. That's all about the stories we tell the stories we tell ourselves, the stories we tell each other, the stories we tell the world. Like it's, there's so much power in just like claiming a narrative and owning it which is what you're basically saying, I think, from whether you're talking to yourself or someone else. Yeah, definitely. You know, when you're younger, it's hard to to completely love yourself because there's so many raging hormones. Mm. But I just, I don't know, being different now is my superpower. And I love that. Not in like a corny daredevil way, like stereotypes of disability, blah, blah, blah. That makes me laugh. Do you have heightened senses? No, mate, I don't. <laughs> I've just, I've just like learned how to adapt. You know, my ears are the same. But I think, which makes me laugh and you know I don't mind answering those questions you know it's what I do in my videos but I think yeah it's you've all you've got to see your difference as as a as a power to you rather than something that's horrible but I think that's hard in the classroom though as well isn't it when everyone wants to be the same How, how do you think it's your power like what what is the what is the story you tell yourself and the world there i'm very curious because it's something we hear a lot from lots of people in lots of different lives bodies identities and i'm just very curious about how you see it as your superpower yeah i think my power is i've been able i've had the privilege to talk to so many people across the world um i've developed my communication skills in such a way because I have had to talk to teaching assistants in order to get to articulate what I need from a situation, you know, typing up an essay or, you know, guiding them to a sandwich that I want in the canteen when I have an access worker at my first job, first day at my new job at the BBC Mm -hmm. or, you know, those skills are powerful. Um, You know, the biggest part of us living on this big ball of rock is 
being able to communicate and empathize with each other we then will rub along well and I think I wouldn't be as good a communicator without my disability um I think my power also is the fact that I have lost something you know I know what it's like to lose a sense um that can be a really really sad thing and it is but it is also a massively amazing thing because I know what it's like to go to the deepest thoughts, deepest thoughts in my mind at a young age and, and say, Hey, like, you know, nothing can get worse than this. So I can live a really fulfilling life. And every moment that I live, I, I can see the value in it. And I wouldn't have seen the value if I didn't have that mm -hmm. loss. Um, you know, people often say, you know, you don't know the value of something until you've lost it. And I feel like that's the power that I harness. Yeah. That's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I feel like that <laughs> leads in a very lovely way to my last very cheesy question where this podcast is called Little Revolutions. And so we like to ask everyone and the reason I wanted to talk to you specifically was so much of what we've touched on. Of like, you know, how do you take up space? How do you own your power, find your path when the world isn't necessarily set up to to support you and if there's one who's listening yeah. who's maybe in an earlier stage of their journey or in the same part of the, the similar part of their journey as you are and they want to do something to to take up that take up that space take up that power own their superpowers and don't know where to start because there's like the big sweeping changes but also so much of like actually the work of change, the work of making the world better comes in the small things that you were talking about as well. And I'm curious about if you had to say to someone, you know, here's one little revolution you can make, or here are some little revolutions you can make to take up that space, take up your power. What would that be? Wow. That's such a big question. I think a little revolution is before you can take up space externally, you have to tell yourself internally that it's something that aligns with your value system. So I've done a value compass and I've got all of the, the top things like family and friends and ha mm. home and, you know, and work all on there, but they're big or smaller bubbles. And you have to decide for yourself, what is your value system and what what as part of your compass, what moves you up towards or away from the things you value most in the world. And then you can be your most authentic self. Um, I think then truly because my why and my value system so deeply and so wholeheartedly is my mm -hmm. community. I drive every day and I wake up every day saying, you know, how can I change my life, but not only my life, the the lives of people who are living a similar reality to me. That is because of my value system. Um, and then you can create different re revolutions. Mm -hmm. I think having having like a five year plan, but a, also a six month plan, they're just as mm -hmm. equally valid. Because living in the now is what is going to make you revolt the strongest. Yeah. yeah. I, I love, I'm not a five-year planner. And this also feels like a, a affirming thing to me. If like, you can't get to the five-year plan if you don't have the six-month plan. 
yeah exactly and you can't make change in your community unless you're also like living authentically yourself so it feels like you start small to do big things you have you have to feed your own self definitely and there's going to be times where there's a wall that you literally cannot you feel is impossible to knock down but if you you know learn your screen reader or your braille note um, and you learn Braille, then that allows you to write sentences and then will allow you to write a blog post and then will allow you to learn about SEO. And then we'll teach you, you know, how to, you know, write about really valuable things and turn that into a job or a, a side hustle or a hobby or something that entertains you and then, then fuels you. Um, so yeah, I think it's the little things. Thank you, that is such a beautiful answer. Thank you so much for listening and thank you to Lucy for this wonderful conversation. Check out our show notes for more about Lucy and where you can follow her.